The first one that I, that I witnessed was on the East Coast oh. uh, during a competition and I was in the water with the guy so I took him out of the water. Luckily he was a surfer and uh, the shark did bite uh, a bit of the ball so it was just like a non-fatal one. And then six months later, one of my best friends lost his leg at Saint-Pierre at a place called Le Pic du Diable and I was also in the water. So I witnessed my third shark attack here in uh, 2013. The last uh, shark attack that I witnessed was in Saint-André in 2017. When the shark attacked him, the shark bounced on him. Like the entire body of the shark came out of the water and came and dropped back on his back, like laying on the back like this. The scream was like some of the most traumatizing thing that I've heard, like I had to, to live in. Honestly, like it was so strong. What happens to us when the world comes unglued? To people, I mean, like what really goes on inside our brains and hearts when nature just sort of unravels? Who gets blamed? How do people wind up treating each other? And finally, how does anybody make the world whole again? I put those questions that way because they are so painfully pertinent for so many reasons in so many places these days, but especially because of what happened on a beautiful little French island called Reunion, way out in the Indian Ocean, east of Madagascar, starting in 2011. Because that's when sharks on Reunion just started biting people, way more than ever before, with lunatic violence, as in local famous surfer, ultra handsome young guy, very sweet, beloved, devoured whole by two sharks simultaneously in front of dozens of witnesses near an ultra-fancy beach hotel where the French president Jacques Chirac once vacationed with his fluffy little white dog. A teenage girl swimming 15 feet from the sand with her 12-year-old sister got literally bitten in half at the waist, clean like a one-shot slice at a beach in town. And this kind of stuff kept happening on Reunion for years. And Reunion's not actually that small. 40 miles long, 30 wide. It's got big volcanic mountains in the middle where people go trekking. But what it's really got is epic beaches, snorkeling, scuba, and killer waves, like world-class, as in the pro tour of surfing used to stop on Reunion, and Kelly Slater has friends there. The French national surf team trained on Reunion. There were dozens of surf contests every year, and local kids were super into it. So to suddenly have sharks attacking was like all of nature flipping from lovely warm playground to scary. And local society kind of went nuts. People radically disagreed over causes and solutions. They started turning on each other. Polarized camps formed over whether or not it was even okay to kill sharks to protect people. Reunion is also fully part of France, like Hawaii to the U.S., 
800,000 French citizens live there, with great little cafes and hotels full of Parisians who've flown down for sun and sand. So the story got way bigger than Reunion. Brigitte Bardot even got involved. The French national media started covering Reunion shark attacks, like American media covering the O.J. Simpson trial. A comedy news TV show in Paris ran a skit about the shark of Reunion Island as the new official sponsor of the French Paralympic squad, as in free amputations. It even got bigger than that. International Ocean Conservation Orgs parachuted in. Crazy entrepreneurs turned Reunion into an international testing ground for shark attack deterrent technology, like perfume of dead shark. I am not making this up because sharks apparently really do not like the smell of dead shark. But of course, what happened on Reunion Island was also really not Sharknado or Shark Avalanche or Sharknado 5 global swarming. It wasn't a joke. I mean, sure, a little dark comedy. But the Reunion Island shark crisis became one of the most extreme shark attack epidemics in recorded history. Many, many people lost limbs and loved ones and suffered extreme trauma. And because all that happened on one little green island way out in the big blue sea, it might just be the best case study we'll ever get of an isolated human community facing a lethal environmental threat in a world out of balance. Kind of like the rest of us on our little blue planet, the only one we've got way out here in space. So hey, I'm Dan Duane, and welcome to Reunion, Shark Attacks in Paradise. Episode 1, Bienvenue à Paradis. We were in the water all the time. As soon as we get out of school, we went into the water. And after cyclones, we were there from down until dusk because of the waves. That's a reunion local named Jean-Francois Nativel, 40-something surfer and school teacher turned local politician. Voilà. Because for us, it was just awesome to play in the wave with a bit of polystyrene and the woods. My parents didn't want us to do that. If I came home with black sand on my feet, my dad would get out his bed and give me 10 to 15 walks with it. But I still go back into the sea the next day. That was the typical example of the Creole discipline back then. Okay, pause. Jean-Francois and that word Creole. Nobody lived on Reunion when French sailors first showed up in the late 1600s. Nobody at all, except, I guess, sharks and whatever birds and little animals lived on shore. But the point is, it was completely devoid of humans until the French colonized the place. And colonialism was no prettier there than anywhere else. The French brought enslaved persons kidnapped off Madagascar and elsewhere. They brought indentured servants out of India and China. And we'll get into all that a little more in upcoming episodes. But for now, the main thing to know is that Reunion became ultra-diverse, and it's still that way. That island really is one of the world's great melting pots. And the word Creole there refers to everybody. It does not carry racial content. It really just means you were born on Reunion. Jean-Francois' ancestors were among the very first working-class French emigrants there all the way back in the 1660s. 
So he was super Creole. And part of traditional Creole culture, it turns out, is fear of the ocean, precisely because of sharks. Collective memory dating back to when slave ships carried people to the island and slavers made people swim ashore through sharky waters. Old stories about fishermen getting eaten. Charles Baudelaire, the famous French poet, swimming ashore from a boat on reunion in the 1840s and nearly chopped. So even before this new shark crisis, traditional Creole families taught kids to stay the hell out of the ocean. There was no local water sports culture at all. It was not like Hawaii. People did not play in the sea. In fact, surfing and scuba and all the other water sports came to reunion only in the 1960s with French hippies and other lifestyle types moving down from the mainland. Plenty of Creoles took up those sports, of course, but plenty also frowned at them. So for Jean-Francois to play in the waves after school as a kid amounted to rebellion against his mom and dad's sort of conservative old ways. And it amounted to his own kind of embrace of new wild ways. And that is why Jean-Francois's dad really belted him when Jean-Francois came home with sand on his feet. At least until dad caved. Bataillé pendant longtemps avec mes parents, et ben ils m'ont acheté une planche. After having fought with my parents for so long, they ended up buying me a board. Et ils m'ont acheté une planche. Et il m'avait emmené à la plage. I apologize for my tears, but this is really taking me back, you know. Anyway, they bought me a board and even took me to the beach. And for them, back then, that was a considerable cost. And from then on, I didn't go to school. I skipped classes. I hitchhiked to the beach. And in one year, I became Réunion Island champion. And then two years later, I was French bodyboard champion for the under-16s. Bodyboarding, by the way, also known as boogieboarding, is a sub-discipline of surfing where you ride lying down on a rectangular piece of foam. You must have had wonderful years as a teenager when you were enjoying surf riding and you could go to other beaches and look for good waves. And I mean, I, I, as a surfer, I, I, it must have been incredible to be on that island and be capable of surfing when there were no crowds in the water and you weren't afraid of the shark problem. We was only in the water all the, all the time. Did you ever, did, did you ever like take the bus or hitchhike or have cars to go to yeah, other yeah, parts? Yeah. We, we're going on hitchhiking. Hitchhiking? Hitchhiking. Hitchhiking or bus uh, on a motorbike, everything we can take to go. We was in this uh, time. You, it was possible to be uh, 10 in a car, you see? <laughs> police, uh, there was no problem with police. To, today, if you do something like this, you go in jail. <laughs> Welcome to True Spies, the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared in Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios, wherever you get your podcasts. 
Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. So I live in California. I've been surfing 30 plus years. It's a huge part of my life. A lot of my best friends are surfers. And I've traveled for waves all over South Pacific, West Africa, the Galapagos, even Iceland. I wrote a book about surfing in the 90s. And I've been writing articles about the sport for newspapers and magazines ever since. I've also known about reunions since the 90s because that's when early pictures showed up in American surf mags especially of this one insane wave called Saint-Lou. I have honestly been dreaming about surfing Saint-Lou and the rest of Reunion Island ever since. And also that I really loved hearing Jean-Francois talk about him and his little surf buddies roaming the island as teenagers. That is living the dream. And I was also kind of fascinated by how they built a mental map of their little surf world, safe here at this time of day, not safe there at that time of day, Because, see, Creole traditional wisdom about sharks said that if you really did have to get in the water for some unimaginable reason, (laughs) sharks were much more likely to attack in the late afternoon, early morning, and especially any time the water was murky, like with poor visibility. Well, what makes murky water? Rain, yes, so don't surf after a rain, but also river mouths carrying muddy water down off the land into the sea. It turns out Reunion has a murky water side and a clear water side. The murky water side is over on the east coast of the island, where it rains all the time in the mountains and lots of rivers carry muddy water down into the sea. The clear water side of Reunion Island happens to be the west coast, where it doesn't rain much at all, and where Jean-Francois and his buddies lived. Of course, the West Coast was also where all the tourism and snorkeling and scuba happened, precisely because of that nice clear water. So this natural boundary in the Reunion surf map, East Coast, muddy and sharky, West Coast, clear and relatively safe, helped make surfers like Jean-Francois feel like their home waters were a kind of sanctuary. But it also allowed them to compartmentalize the occasional hideous incidents that did happen well before the 2011 crisis began, like a famous one on the South Coast, kind of between wet and dry, in 2003. I heard about this from an excellent surfer named Laurie Le Constant, after, by the way, my plane landed, and while Laurie drove me along the Reunion Coast looking at surf spots, and yes, taking me to a surf spot where he wanted me to catch a few waves with him. But anyway. A little boy lost his legs. He was bull shark. And you you saw this happen? Yeah, yeah, I was surfing right next to him. I didn't really see what was happening with the water coming. I went on the sand. Once I was on the beach, we saw the guys take the little boy out of the water, and his bone was like... Laurie indicated that the boy's lower leg was entirely gone at the knee, and that his upper leg was stripped of all flesh so that his femur stuck out, entirely exposed, the whole bone. Yeah, like that. And on the bones, you can see the scratch of the teeth. 
of the teeth. Yeah, the guys work with the instructor, the school instructor. He had a good reflex. Yeah. He took the artery and held it. Yeah. The artery was kept like this, like whole leg was yeah. just bone. He take his hands right in the muscle, take the artery and hold it because the artery can go. He got the wetsuit to make a compression and held it. The fireman and the ambulance were there in five minutes. In case it's not clear, Lori meant that this kid's surf instructor shoved his hand into the boy's exposed muscle, grabbed the femoral artery, and pinched it off with his thumb so the boy would not bleed out and die. So he got saved. He was really, really, really? lucky. He actually managed to grab yeah, the artery. Yeah. Wow. That's what I saw. Wow. And his leg was floating on the water. The rest of his leg was still floating there? You saw this? See what I mean about compartmentalizing? Like, okay, well, that's kind of gnarly, but maybe we just stay away from the South Coast and the East Coast. But at the same time, in the heart of the dry, sunny West Coast resort zone, sharks really were almost never seen, throughout the early 2000s especially. I mean, yes, the historical record did carry a few older accounts of attacks there, but years had gone by. Even after Jean-Francois got married and had kids and wanted his kids to surf, he still considered his old West Coast home base a sanctuary and basically shark-free. We knew they were there because there had been attacks, but we felt protected from them in our little heaven of peace. Jean-Francois' feeling of safety and about the entire world of his beloved West Coast first began to change on October 17, 2009. He was out spearfishing and dove about 50 feet. And yeah, that's pretty damn deep holding your breath. He was in good shape. He shot a grouper with his spear gun and then saw a 10-foot bull shark. It had passed underneath me, then turned back around. So I shot it out to my friend, who had a bit more experience. Straight away, he dived down toward the shark. A friend of Jean-Francois had been up on the surface as a kind of safety lookout. This is a standard spearfishing protocol. One guy up, one guy down. And when the shark saw this second guy diving down to get involved, the shark turned away from Jean-Francois and toward him. It was a really big bull shark, about three meters long, and he dived down and shot the harpoon at it. He said he hit the shark, but I'm not so sure he did. Jean-Francois got away fine, but he caught a second glimpse of a shark, and he was pretty sure it was the same one about a year later, yet again while spearfishing, and a third glimpse on January 16, 2011. Deep underwater, yet again, another grouper, good shot with that spear gun, big bloody fish in his hand, and... The shark was right in front of me. I don't know what distance he was, I would say about three meters away. It was huge, just right in front of me, and I was hardly moving. One eye was looking at me, the mouth half open, but there I was with this fish I just had speared. You know, you like flashes past your eyes. When I saw this shark, it was 2 p.m. and there were lots of people on the beach. My friends, surfing schools, lifeguards, everyone was there in the water. And if I come and start shouting, shark, shark, people are going to react badly. They're going to think I'm crazy. 
In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. Everyone now agrees that the Reunion Island shark crisis began in earnest three days after Jean-Francois's last close encounter with that shark. On February 19, 2011, at a West Coast resort beach called Trois Roches, or Three Rocks, a young man named Eric Darjean left his wife and two children on the beach to go for a surf. Darjean was a very experienced surfer from the French mainland. He was considering moving to Reunion for the surf, and he knew the basic shark safety rule about avoiding murky water. But Trois Roches is in the very innermost heart of that west coast, in a super upscale fishing town called Saint-Gilles, with a big harbor surrounded by restaurants and bars and stylish French people sunbathing like nobody's invented skin cancer yet. It was the epicenter of where people felt safe, and it was the safety of that very spot that defined Jean-Francois's whole sense of a world in balance. Eric Darjean paddled out. According to the Reunion Island Journal, a local newspaper, it was around 6 p.m. on February 19th when a guy who happened to live in the neighborhood a flight attendant by trade, was collecting seashells with his kid on the beach. They heard screaming in the water. So this flight attendant guy squinted into the low sun, trying to see what was going on. He told the reporter he saw a hand reaching up out of the water, as if out of the reef. A third guy who was out getting waves on a bodyboard was already kicking and paddling over toward that hand to help. The flight attendant ran into the water and started swimming. He later told a reporter, I started to get up on the barrier reef, the coral. I fell on him. He was half conscious. The first thing I see is his face. I saw the wound on the blood. I told the other guy, the bodyboarder who was trying to help, to give me his lycra shirt. And I immediately put a tunique on the ground. The victim said to me, it's a shark, it bit me. I don't have a leg anymore. I hit it in the face. Emergency workers got Darjean to the hospital in time to save his life. And town authorities immediately closed all the beaches for two days. But those beach closures did not cut it for Jean-Francois. Les autorités n'ont pas du tout compris. The authorities did not understand. Their reaction was the complete opposite of mine. How can I put this? Well, for us, we knew the sea. We had a white, sandy beach, clear water, blue sky, and no wind. So for us, to have an attack in this spot, our world collapsed in front of us. We were on our knees. It was a catastrophe for us. We would never have imagined that it was possible. We thought that, given the water was clean and the good weather, white sand, that the shark would not come. Then the sky fell on our heads. The prefect and the authorities, they looked simply at statistics and they saw it as a regular shark attack. 
which will happen every two or three years. For them, it was just normal, but they didn't see that on the Réunion, the attacks were usually taking place in the wild, rough areas. But this was in the heart of a tourist area. Imagine you're in the town, and there are wolves around. The wolf normally attacking the mountain, but then one day, the wolf come into town and attack some kids in the park, where they normally play. Then the government say, we don't need to get worried, because we always had a few wolves attacking the mountains. It's just like that. So we were really angry. We were devastated by this. I was in the water that day, and there were some good waves. Everyone was in the water, many of my friends. This attack was on somebody we didn't know, a tourist. But one thing really touched me. It happened to him while his two kids were on the beach. I met the person who went to save him and put the tourniquet on his legs. I remember that. He had to walk across the corral and he cut his feet on the corral when he went out to save Darjean. He had to walk about 100 meters over corral. It was very shallow, so it must have been very hard for him to come out of the water in front of his wife and kids. It was between life and death, and for two days, we didn't know if he was going to survive. We were really devastated. So I called my two friends, Christophe and Cédric. They're like me. They have the same reaction. And Christophe is a professional fisherman. So I said to Christophe, why don't you go out and try to catch the shark? I felt guilty because I had seen a shark days earlier, and maybe, for me, it had to be the same shark. It was hanging the one in the water, so we felt responsible. My soul says me... Uh do something. That's Christophe Perry. Experience told him that when a bull shark got a big successful feed, it was likely to return to the same spot at the same time the next day. When that accident arrived, I didn't think about uh, other things that, that what my soul uh, said to, to do. I, I have to go uh, back fishing uh, in that zone because um, I know that if you don't do anything to try to catch the shark, he will come back uh, and attack again and again and again. We had one chance, but the chance of catching the shark was really small. A tiger shark is quite easy to catch in certain places. But with a bull shark, you never know. You can go out 10 or even 20 times and not catch anything at all. When it comes to fishing, Christophe is a real maestro. He can really in 400 kilo shark on his own. He said, well, let's go out and try again. I never been out shark fishing before. Christophe had his boat moored right there in Saint-Gilles Harbor, less than a mile from where Darjean got hit. So they just climbed aboard and motored out. It took all of about five minutes. The sun was low, the water was oily smooth, not much breeze. Christoph popped an ice chest and pulled out a whole frozen fish called a bonito. Bull sharks are huge, powerful animals, especially on Reunion, where they run bigger than in other places like in Florida. And they're smart. They'll nibble right around a hook and pull off a bait fish without getting hurt. So Christoph attached a very big hook to a steel fishing line, shoved it down through that bonito's mouth into its stomach and tossed it overboard. For 20, 30 minutes, nothing. Tout était calme, le temps était un peu mauvais, et on attendait, il se passait rien. We were waiting and nothing was happening. And I remember this well. Christophe, he got a nice for those things. 
I think he saw the line and he felt something move in the fishing rod. He said, the body to hit the sand. Et donc il me il nous dit oui, elle a dû toucher le sable. Suddenly the line shot out. Bang, they'd hooked something. Christoph took over. He can apparently drive the boat and manage a big fish on the line at the same time. So that's what he did. Then they got a glimpse. They'd hooked a very big shark, about 10 feet long and more than 500 pounds. That shark put up a big fight, but Christophe just hung in there and let it get tired out. Jean-Francois shot photos and video, and the sun was already down when the shark gave up, and Christophe pulled the boat up next to it. Christophe wrapped a rope around the shark's head and lashed it to the hull. Jean-Francois had absolutely no doubt he was looking at the beast he'd seen underwater all those times out spearfishing, and that it was the same one that took Eric Darjean's leg. Il a fallu le tuer. We had to kill it. In USA, you just shoot them in the head with a gun. Christophe had to kill him using a wooden mallet, which involved 50 or 100 blows, if not more. Jean-Francois was filming all of this when he started to get a funny feeling, a sort of personal version of a queasy confusion that was about to spread across the island. It's a feeling that we have each time we are at the sea and we are faced with this problem. The sea is so vast, so deep, so immeasurable. And to say that we have taken one fish out of that, we can become a little bit philosophical. When I look at the sea, I say to myself, how can I fight against something so big, so huge, but I remember that day beyond this feeling of guilt. Just asking the question, is this useful or not? He was having second thoughts. He was starting to wonder if killing a single shark could really make anybody safer and whether it was even okay to kill such a beautiful animal. Given the fact that the guy was at death's door, he had lost a leg, and the fact that we were convinced that I was the right shark, any doubt I had quickly dissipated. We had carried out an act of citizenship, as I call it. Christophe's plan was to butcher the shark at the harbor and share the meat with anybody who wanted some. It's pretty good eating, and shark curry used to be a staple on Reunion. Christophe also figured on cutting open the shark belly and looking inside. He had a hunch it would be empty. Sharks can puke during big fights on a fishing line. So if they found Darjean's leg inside, great. But Christophe figured they'd taken a potential man-eater out of the water no matter how you looked at it. Jean-Francois felt the same, and he wanted to get the word out because it was fantastic, right? Here's this monstrous shark, maimed a guy, almost left two kids fatherless, and now they'd whacked the beast or one very like it in the exact same spot. Jean-Francois also figured local officials would want to know. We called the authorities and said, listen, we just picked up the huge shark. Do you want to come have a look? They said, no, they didn't care. That surprised Jean-Francois, but he still wanted to spread the good news. We had social networks back then, but I didn't have a smartphone. So I called a friend who had a computer and I told him, 
post a message to our community online saying that we have caught the shark. The problem is over and we'll be down at the port in a half hour. When we arrived there half an hour later, there were 50, 100 people. The media were there, TV camera and all. Jean-Francois was stunned by the size of that crowd as they hauled that big dead shark up onto the dock. But he was still operating under the assumption that everybody in the crowd, everybody on reunion in that whole little society of theirs, wanted the same thing that Jean-Francois did. That old feeling of safety and a sense that their shared world hadn't changed after all. Jean-Francois was wrong, dead wrong. This season on Reunion, Shark Attacks in Paradise. The French Surf Federation uh, wrote a letter asking for shark kills. I was with Paul in Paris at the time. And I told him, oh, shit, look at this. You know, the French Surf Federation is, is asking for shark kill. And he said, OK, you know what? He wrote an open letter saying that the French surfers of La Reunion were a shame for the whole surf community. And he signed it by my name. That was the first winter of the shark crisis, and we already lost two legends, you know? So we were totally traumatized, you know, uh, like shocked. But at the same time, what are we gonna do? Are we gonna stay on the ground for the whole summer, like uh, cowards, you know? Or, you know, frightened like a chicken? Or are we going to try to get our territory back, you know? By that time, just to be perfectly honest, I was emotionally invested in solving the problem, the mystery, the murder mystery of Reunion Island. And I felt like there was a team of us, me and the Biotope people, who were trying to solve it, and the mayor who was trying to cover it up. Open a, a bottle of champagne. Oh, no. yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No problem champagne. with champagne, yeah, yeah. No problem with champagne, yeah. I have no so problem with good. champagne, yeah. <laughs> Reunion Shark Attacks in Paradise is a production of Hyperobject Industries, Little Everywhere, and Sony Music Entertainment. It's written, reported, and hosted by me, Dan Duane. Executive produced by Adam McKay, Claire Slaughter, Harry Nelson, Dan Gallucci, and Jane Marie. Produced and engineered by Joy Sanford, Mike Richter, Dan Gallucci, and Jane Marie, with help from Zaley Mahone. Edited by Dan Gallucci and Jane Marie. All final mixes by Mike Richter. Reunion, Shark Attacks in Paradise was interpreted by James Christie and Pauline Chardin. Special thanks to all of our voice actors, Fred Gilles, Sandrine Ristello, Julio Mendy, and Marley Otto, and to the many people on Reunion Island that helped make all of this possible. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. 
If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.